32 counties. 32 questions. My name is Una. And I'm Andrea. And this is United Ireland. Ireland. Every week we take a county and dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. This week's county is Cavan. This week's question, abductions, torture, the Quinn group and Cavan. What is going on? Andrea, how was your week? My week was very short. Um, It was my birthday, so I spent most of it celebrating. Even though I said I was just going to have a meal and watch a film. Did that, but the rest was spent celebrating. But uh, Hustlers, how are you? Yes, brilliant. It's just the best film. I can't wait for it to be out on DVD or whatever the future release thing is. We're now in week three of discussing (laughs) Hustlers and long may it last is all I can say. It's so... I can't believe it took me so long. Imagine when it's eight and you can like dress up like them and have drinks with them and pretend you're pals with them. That's what I'm going to do. It was like an episode of uh, Trap Pop. Like I went with my sister and she was like, I have that. I want that. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> seems to be a lot in common with the strippers. Delighted. Excellent work. Um, how was your week? How was my week? Yeah, grand. Just settling back in, beating my jet lag, going to see loads of theatre and going to movies. That is my life. <laughs> That's Gorgeous. all. Um, loads of news this week, of course. Um, the Brexit... Oh my God. <laughs> the Brexit shit show is ongoing. Who knows what's going to happen? A new dimension, although not really that new, were these allegations of um, Boris Johnson being a creep. Um these are not new things, but I suppose uh, the stuff around him squeezing a woman's leg at a dinner in 1999 and then uh, him denying it and everybody pretty much thinking that he's lying. So that's the latest. But he's always part. lying. Yeah. He's totally lying about what his strategy is. Like, I'm, I'm convinced. Watch out my political mind. I'm p- convinced this sh- whole shenanigan is a strategy. There's no way he's as absolute stupid as he goes on. Yeah, I think it's probably a combo. His sister was saying something about... Um, my, one, I mean, obviously, one of the only amusing parts of this whole thing is how the Johnson family is completely at odds a la that TV series Succession. Um, and his sister was saying that he's backed by kind of um, currency money people. And uh, this is all related to crashing sterling. Oh, my God. Did you? There was this... I was reading this article about all these men who are betting against businesses and the currency so that the minute it crashes they're going to make absolute fortunes obviously she's saying that but it was somebody who was like yeah I am yeah and that's all I mean it's also what happened when the referendum happened like um, Farage was a currency speculator trader type person so um, a lot of the polling and stuff that came out was deliberately uh, spun in a particular way on the eve of the referendum the day of the referendum so that people could short sterling and make loads of money but like you kind of want to be like to all the people who are voting for this and feel that they're being hard done by it's like you're being hard done by by the people who are meant to be saving you and that you're putting your faith in and look what they're doing the absolute assholes yeah it's an education issue and a cop on who's issue. going to do it who's going to do who that? is going to do it somebody think of the people who's going to educate the British public on democracy and how it fails and how their <laughs> society's going to no, collapse no how people are screwing them over as it was and as ever it ever shall, shall be. be. Um, the Direct Provision Centre in Uchtharard in Galway, the tender for that has been withdrawn. That has been at the centre of loads of different protests. So it's quite interesting. It's been a full protest since 
they announced they put the tender in that they haven't left outside and they mm. started building a wall the other day like obviously Twitter was overflown with like you need permission for that planning permission they didn't get planning permission for that but yeah the owner has said that he f- has been worried about his staff and that he's taken the tender out So we'll see where that goes obviously there's a major issue with the Department of Justice not actually engaging properly with communities to really discuss how these things are... Um, but also the statement he put out, it was like, this is actually quite good for the people who don't have a voice to fight for going into this system. So obviously there's a column A and column B with our little right wing friends. But is this some is this a fighting back against the direct provision like system and that maybe the Department of Justice needs to look at what they're going to do. Now obviously you've got Leah Rag who's like well they can leave at any time and it's an option and blah blah blah. So he, Which he, is one of the I mean top 20 asshole oh, comments that um, Leah Rag has ever made. But I suppose the thing is like a racist system begets opportunities for racism as well. I'm not saying that that you know people protesting against this are racist. I think that there are racist elements trying to co-opt the discontent there but I think that you know until this direct provision is, is dismantled and a more humane system is implemented to house um, asylum seekers you're going to have these vacuums that open up that basically give licence to people to, yeah. to protest and anyway the Department of Justice should be engaging properly with people moving on by the time you listen to this podcast you may or may not be um, wet <laughs> wet <laughs> I think you'll definitely be wet blown away by Hurricane Lorenzo which is on the horizon um, I just saw a seagull uh, almost be blown past the window as I'm looking out here at pissing rain in Dublin so wherever you are stay safe batten stay down, in batten down the hatches Wizard of Oz style and let's hope Lorenzo doesn't um dump too much rain on us. Oh my God, did you see there was a video, uh, I need to get off the internet, there was this video in Canada of a rainstorm, a hailstorm and it was literally like, don't you know when you watch movies and it's like they just pour water down outside it? Mm. It was like that and it was like, okay, calm down Ireland. So that, but we're probably, we may be getting that. But I had to walk here today. It's in bits. (laughs) (laughs) What's Paul Murphy up to? He launched Rise, which is a new group. He left the Socialist Party. It's very left-leaning, obviously, but it's also very tied into the environment. So it's he was saying that there hasn't been very much leftist groups that are environmentally focused. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he falls now with the Green Party because there was obviously speculation in words of like the Green Party aren't going far enough from Extinction Rebellion and all the shenanigans. So maybe he'll be the one to bring it further. Mm, maybe. John Delaney um, is gone with 500 grand in his back pocket from the FAI. And let's Speculation. Andrew, um, producer Andrew and football brain, let's bring you in on this. What do you think about this? Where's your mic? Uh, here. My mic is here. Hello. Hello. <laughs> what do I think of uh, John Delaney? Thank and you. leaving. <laughs> don't, maybe don't tell us what you think of John Delaney. Um, it's a good guy. I don't quite know what to think other than the whole thing really stinks. And you wonder if the amount of money that he's being paid is to keep him quiet about certain things. 100%. I don't I just don't. I just don't know. But... There's no um, way you'd pay someone that much money just to be like, okay, you're gone. Just take all the money. 
Yeah, I mean, I, the guys in the Sunday Times have done amazing work on this, haven't they? And mm. they, it seems like every week they're uncovering something else. So it might be a case that he's getting out while the going is good. One of the things that kind of disturbs me about the whole John Delaney thing is that this is a saga with his kind of personality and ego to the fore that's been going on for years and years and years. And the commentary... Um, and the analysis generally around it up until relatively recently like let's say in the last couple of years has been like oh there he goes again there he is buying people pints at matches there he is singing songs there he is flying here there and everywhere and there was an assumption that there was maybe um, if not corruption then certainly a type of ego running rampant in that organisation and within UEFA as well on behalf of Irish soccer. Why was it so impossible to get this person out of their position? There doesn't seem to be any move to actually have dislodged him before now. And now he's just walked away with apparently half a mil. I mean, I guess people, um, the people who make that decision or would have made that decision didn't really see him as doing anything wrong. It's only when the, the revelations came out in the Sunday Times that it was public outcry that forced the FII to to maybe reconsider their position with Delaney. Otherwise, it would have just chugged along. I'd say everybody's getting their back scratched when somebody like that is in charge. And what about the whole a fish rots from the head down kind of thing? I mean, do you think that the FAI needs to have a complete overhaul of personnel? It would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it, if a lot of the, the people that were there under Delaney or working with Delaney are just going to step into that breach. I mean, they probably can't get away with... Um, some of the things Delaney got away with but it would make a lot of sense from an organisational point of view if you're serious about reform and serious about doing things properly you can't just replace Delaney with Delaney Light or one of his acolytes Mm. so Thank you Andrew Thus concludes our (laughs) Business of Football segment Thank you very much (laughs) What else has been going on Andrea? Uh, The Washington Post got in trouble a slap on the wrist for their headline about Blondie going Review, in her memoir, Debbie Harry proves she's more than just a pretty blonde in tight pants. <laughs> Screaming. Get in the sea. Get, oh my God, that should have been get in the sea. Shit. Anyway, the education minister has requested that history is to stay on the JC syllabus, which is like, holy fucking Lulia. Yeah, why was that like in question? And the curriculum and syllabus people are like, no, we don't need history. It's like, please please look to America and England and know that we need to know our history. Correct. And from this, this, from everything I've learned about our counties of Ireland, it needs to be a bit better than what it was when I was there. Mm. What happened at the Chanel fashion show? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, screaming again. So this girl, woman, got up on the catwalk dressed in a tweed Chanel suit and kind of looked like she was in the show and started walking along and she just crashed the catwalk and then she got the whole way around and I was watching uh, Elizabeth Patton's uh, Instagram she is the New York Times fashion writer and she's like oh my god she's just walking around and then next of all Gigi Haddad goes over and starts having a rant at her and being like uh, can you get off the catwalk and then escorts and she's just there smiling real like I just crashed the Chanel catwalk having a ball good um, on her apparently she's some YouTube comedian in a, in a shock development somebody <laughs> trying to get attention for something um, yeah it was gas I, I, I kind of now I'm a bit devastated that she's a YouTube comedian I kind of preferred it when it was there was more to it mm, or less to it maybe. or less to it yeah, yeah. Um, Fungi, you have written down here now, Fungi is the longest recorded solitary dolphin. (laughs) It's amazing the news I find, isn't it? If 
Well, I mean, I've, okay, you can't talk about this to carry people because they go mental. But, you know, the whole conspiracy theories around fungi. That there's loads of them. Yeah, they keep switching them out and stuff. But I have... Well, it's in the Guinness Book of Records that fungi is the longest living dolphin on, a, on his own. Is this a new development? Yeah, it was in the news this week. Oh, I'm just looking at it now um, on the Irish Post. Fungi the dolphin breaks Guinness World Record in sensational style. <laughs> Did he mark it somehow? <laughs> you know, was there a comment? Oh my God, he was out with me at the weekend. <laughs> 36, 36 years um, Fungi has been off the Kerry coast. I went out in a boat once to kind of see Fungi. And you I just, saw him. Um, a, he's fucking gigantic. And lovely. I don't know about that. There was a small little sailboat out while I was out and he managed to jump um, into the sail of the boat, nearly knocking it over. Um, And it didn't seem to be a friendly leap. No, I'm sorry. 36 years on his own. He has to have the crack somehow. I'd be doing the same. Like, what else are you going to do? Fair enough. Um, Chameleon Restaurant and Temple Bar is closing after 25 years. I'm very sad about that. Best of luck to them, whatever they do next. And well done for serving the good people of Dublin for that length of time. Uh, Biggest news this week. Adele is is apparently dating Skepta. As somebody commented, I don't have their name. They're like, finally, she's going to drop a beat. (laughs) This is a relationship I can get behind. Although I wonder what Stormzy thinks about it because he's a big Adele fan. Adele also has a girlfriend. Adele always goes out with absolute wetters. Like absolute what? Wetters. Uh, explain. Buttes. Oh, okay. That's, okay, right. I got wet things. <laughs> Fine. I'm sorry. I'm just like not down with your lingo. Um, so snaps for Adele. <laughs> snaps for Adele. And she always gets an album out of it. Truth has to be told. I don't bend. I don't fold. I lost count how many we sold. I went silver. I went gold. Then I went platinum. So what's next? Supermodels trying to sex. Sending nudes on a text. This week we are heading to Cavan. Or uh, Cavan. Yes, correct. Did you know that I am half Cavan? Well, Cavan. I don't know. Quarter Cavan? Like Cavan. I'm born in Dublin, but my dad is from Cavan. What does that make me? Quarter Cavan? Well, from some of the facts that I got about Cavan, people whose like grandparents and great grandparents are from Cavan consider themselves from Cavan. So you're from Cavan. I'm definitely I'm not <laughs> from Cavan. Well, you've got I'm, like a Cavan vibe. I'm <laughs> I'm partly Cavan. My dad is from Virginia, County Cavan. Which is where all the good creamy milk comes from for Bailey's. Yeah. And they have, um, it's actually a really lovely town. They have loads of like random festivals up there, including the Virginia Pumpkin Festival. I was also recently at the, <laughs> your face just <laughs> dropped there for some reason. I was also recently at the Virginia show, the agricultural show in Virginia. And um, there's just such amazing like crafts and all food and everything up there. I really like um, this part of the world. It is a different kind of vibe I feel than a lot of counties. Um, you know, all these always, obviously all these unga- like jokes forever and ever and ever about how mean and stingy Cavan people are. Yeah. Which is But, oh my God, I'm skipping ahead to the, one of the facts at the bottom. Apparently unfairly renowned Cavan, Cavan people are stingy and not very romantic so they don't do very well in Lothario areas apparently but 
<laughs> Where is this going? I'm scared. This is also really um, playing into defamatory like, to Cabin yeah. people. I but like Cabin. I said, unfairly renowned. Yeah. So that was my get out. So more Valentine's gifts, chocolates and general love stuff are bought in the Tesco branch of Ballyborough than in Ballyborough. any... Perfect. <laughs> than in any other Tesco in the whole of Ireland. Wow. <laughs> That is mad. Isn't that bananas? That is absolutely so that bananas. Just puts a nail in the coffin for the scabby Latarias. Okay, so Cavan facts, hit me. Population 76,176. The Irish for Cavan, get ready, you can tell my Irish lessons are going well, is en Cavan. <laughs> <laughs> Why did that sound French? <laughs> well, just because I'm very international. Uh, it means the hollow which is a bit scabby and they are I thought it was in there they're known as what was the thing? The Breffney County? Yeah the Breffney County mm-hmm. I, d- I need to know a bit more about that Well that's a tribal thing isn't it? Oh yeah <coughs> It's in Ulster but it is Republic of Ireland Correct uh, and the most common surname in Cavan is O'Reilly Hmm Loads of O'Reilly's um, and the Irish for O'Reilly is O'Rahlock Is that how you pronounce it? O'Reilly Oh, it's okay keep going you're doing great <laughs> thank you <laughs> we haven't got on to surnames yet a little known fact about Cavan well it's actually not that little known it's very well known um, is that the famous classic Gulliver's Travels was reputedly penned by Dean Jonathan Swift while vacationing in Mullah a beautiful village in East Cavan I did not know that did you not? no and he based it on one of the men in the village who was a big man who could carry a pony on his back <laughs> cool yeah, swear that's where the story came from as we said Virginia has the cream and skimmed milk powder that's produced for Baileys delicious you can also now get vegan Baileys which is a big hit we've got vegans in Trop Up so at Christmas when we're all drinking our Baileys coffees I have to always have a vegan number there's a really good piece uh, maybe a few years ago in the Irish Times about the guy who invented Baileys uh, he was working as a marketing as a waitress in a <laughs> cocktail bar no, no. <laughs> he was working in marketing for not Irish distilleries but one of those companies no, this is pre all that. And anyway, he had been on the marketing team for Ga- Kerrygold and they were trying to come up with a new Irish um, or a new kind of liqueur. And uh, basically him and this guy were like rushing to a meeting. They're like, what the fuck are we going to do? We don't have anything planned. And they just got... As most marketing people <laughs> yeah, exactly. are like, yeah. as one for 20 years, I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> um, and they basically just got some whiskey and thing of cream and like... Uh, you know, shook it about in a bottle and we're like, that tastes good. Let's do that. And Bailey's was born. And thank the Lord it was. It's coming into Bailey's seat. I'm getting a bottle of Bailey's tonight. Mm. Um, I should know all that. I did the PR for Bailey's before. Did you? Yeah. Hmm. Cavan has around 365 lakes, one for every day of the year mm. and is therefore known as Lake County. <laughs> and the lakes are Loch Rammer. That's the one beside my dad's uh, old house. There you go. Uh, it has uh, Dunaree Forest Park and Cavan Burn Park. Now, I was looking at pictures and they're absolutely stunning. And especially the Burn Park is like, if you want to see um, sites like you'll see in no other place in Ireland, apparently that's where to go. Just an update on that Bailey's. <laughs> Fascinating Bailey's anecdote I told uh, about 30 seconds ago. I was just Googling that um, the person who... I was talking about and his name is David Gluckman and he actually wrote this book called That Shit Will Never Sell 
um, a book about ideas by the person who had them. And so if you want to learn about the genesis of Baileys, buy that book. Yum. Continue. Uh, Oh, this is cute. (laughs) The phrase living the life O'Reilly originated in Cavan. And the reason is because the O'Reilly's, the clan or the O'Reilly's, they had vast wealth and power in the in the 1600s and they created and issued their own currency. No way. Isn't that bananas? That is amazing. Maybe we need a bit more of that shenanigans going on. Mm. No, we don't actually. Probably don't. Uh, Mullah near Virginia was the birthplace of Charlotte Brooke who was the daughter of a cabin man and a Westmeath woman whose seminal work Relics of Irish Poetry was published in the same year as the French Revolution 1789 and it single-handedly helped save the until then largely oral <laughs> Irish language from extinction and forged the recognition it's <laughs> two weeks in a row <laughs> somebody needs some action no, uh, forged the recognition of Gaelic culture and its posts as sophisticated and educated and the work went on to influence literary greats like Thomas More and W.B. Yeats I've heard of it now obviously he's amazing and remains to this day a revolutionary work. Now, I've never heard about it, but I also don't know a lot of history. I also did not know that. Like, you were really knocking it out of the park with the Cavan facts this week. This is fascinating. It's just like, imagine our language was nearly gone and it was saved by one book. There's, and there's a lot of that. Uh, the traveller language is apparently, there's only one person who's the holder of the, of passing it on. Can't. Yeah, yeah. There's like seven. Every time someone mentions it, they have to mention the seven names for it. But yeah, it needs to be written down into something to keep it going. And people keep robbing words from it. Anyway, that's fa- a, that's fa- a different story. Famous people from Cavan. Tell me, Tom Brady from the New England Patriots. Now, this is a, like every like famous people from Cavan list has him on it. He's not from Cavan, right? His great great grandfather emigrated from Cavan during the famine but they're literally like famous Cavan man Tom Brady I'm like ah come on lads I kind of really dislike Tom Brady well I don't know enough about him I know he's married to Giselle and I thought he was no I can't I thought he was better looking he's not actually that good looking anymore Um, has beautiful kids I just don't really like him and he's isn't he a like Trump supporter as well yeah Andrew's nodding I actually hate the Patriots anyway. But um Me too. <laughs> Another sports ball I have to get into for God's sake. Uh no, I'm not going there. I don't know them. Also, <laughs> the stripes were from there. Well, they still are from there, but they're just not a band anymore. Ronan Keating's father, Jedward's granny. <laughs> oh, they keep coming. Uh it's a very academic and intellectual county. All the people I found I didn't know, so they didn't get a nod, but they're like like Doctors and things like that. Cool. I'm only joking. Um, obviously, I much prefer Jedward and Ronan Keating. A lovely thing that happened in September, Box D Without Borders took place on the border with Fermanagh. And I just thought it was quite poignant given that what the fuck is going on at that border now. But they had uh, Box D served on a dinner, a long dinner table with people from both sides of the border and serve boxy, which is my favourite potato. Mm. Yum. Delish. It was across the Balco Bridge. Talked about the Tesco shenanigans and then finally, there's a house outside Virginia that looks like the pig from Angry Birds, apparently. 
<laughs> this was on a lot of the fact things as well. I looked it up. I disagree. I do not think it I'm looks looking, like. I'm, do you know what? I'm looking at this house right now. And this is kind of <laughs> insane because either this house or the one right next to it was my great uncle's house because I recognise exactly where it is. My great Are you sure you just weren't watching too much Angry Birds like no. the weekend? Well, like, I, don't, I also don't think it looks like the pig from Angry Birds. I can kind of understand what they're saying. But we'll we'll put a picture of this house on our Patreon and you can judge for yourselves. But I'm pretty sure that that's the house next door to my great uncle, Neddy, who has since passed on. Oh, bye, Neddy. Um, finally, uh, Gonzo Theatre Company is in Cabin. There you go. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> it's a really good theatre company. I'm into it. In recent weeks, there have been shocking details emerging from an ongoing situation in Cavan and Fermanagh as well, related to the former business interests of a guy who used to be the richest man in Ireland, Sean Quinn. The abduction and torture of Kevin Lunny, an executive at Quinn Industrial Holdings, was the latest dramatic escalation in a long-running saga. To discuss this on this Cavan episode is journalist Rodney Edwards from The Impartial Reporter, who uh, also writes for Bloomberg and the Irish Times, and who has been following this story and reporting on it diligently using his local expertise and knowledge what really is quite a sensational and disturbing story Rodney welcome to the United Ireland podcast thanks for joining us thanks for having me some background on this first for people who might be less familiar with Sean Quinn some of us will remember um, I suppose the the kind of the wrestling going on with regards to the company uh everything wrapped up in the financial crash and so on. But what can you tell us about Sean Quinn's rise as a business person and what his um, business interests were? Well, of course, it's a story worthy of a blockbuster film. You know, it's got everything in it. This this was a farmer's son who became a multi-billionaire who swapped a tractor in Timor, which is the tiny little place where he grew up, for his own private plane. He was the self-made tycoon who who built a a small family quarry in County Fermanagh, a very rural part of Fermanagh, right beside the border with Cavan. And he turned into a a huge empire. And as many will will remember, there were various arms within that manufacturing uh, company. There was a glass factory uh, built in the middle of nowhere, a cement factory, radiator factories. There was power generation, financial services, property development, a string of hotels all over the world, including the Sleeve Russell, which is still there next door to his house. And actually, out of everything that he did um, throughout many decades, the Sleeve Russell remains his favourite part um, of, of, of the entire empire because that was just a bog. That was a bog right beside uh, his, his, uh, his house. And he built this huge hotel there. And it's it's really a sight to see. You know, you're in a very rural part of Ireland. You come around the corner and there's this quite amazing hotel in the middle of nowhere. And his huge wealth made him the UK's 12th richest man in 2007. And he lived a life of luxury. And of course, because of all that, because of the, the jobs that were created in the area and the employment and, 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 and wealth, he became very highly regarded, um, you know, very well respected, but still sort of, still could be very much 
such a country man, you know. So whenever whenever he was was heading up that company, instead of going out to fancy restaurants for lunch, he would walk across the road from HQ and go over to the canteen, and he would sit with all the workers, and he would eat with the workers, and that was sort of the Sean Quinn that people around Fermanagh and Calvin got to know. And then, of course, you know, in the years that would follow, um, all of that would change. And, you know, he'd get to Dublin and there'd be the issues with the banks, there'd be issues with court. And you got to see a different kind of, 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 of uh, a different Sean Quinn, if you like. Um, so it, it's been a very, very interesting time uh, for me as a journalist, but also someone who has got to know um, the Quinns and got to know a lot of, of, of the people around them. Mm. When you mention or even consider like Sean Quinn's name even um, or even the logo related to his name and Calvin in particular, like as you say, it signifies this mogul figure, this empire, this level of power. What was his impact um, financially in Cavan and in Fermanagh, along that Cavan-Fermanagh border with regards to um, wh- how embedded that empire was in that area? Well, what you have to remember is this is a very rural area with limited resources, poor infrastructure, bad roads, a lack of investment. And that is the case today. Uh, it was the case before he created all those companies. Um, no matter how well those businesses are doing now, we're still very much neglected here. We're in a very rural part uh, of, of the country. There hasn't been a functioning government at Stormont for over 1,000 days, and we feel isolated, uh, and that's been the case for decades. So when Quinn came along, and he created all those jobs, and he created the wealth, he created the employment, and he helped to pay the bills for very many employees, and there over 800 of them, that had a big impact on it, and still does, um, because that company continues to do well, and and, and the management that are running it now um, have a big responsibility in terms of trying to hold it all together for for the eight hundred plus uh, employees, uh, and and it's because of all of that Quinn's uh, legacy, if you like, which is why um, he's had so much support in this area over the years. When did the financial issues for uh, Sean Quinn's um, business interests begin? Um, you said, you know, he came, it was, you know, came to Dublin and things started to uh, 2007, 2008 to really kind of unravel. Like, is that implicitly linked to um, the financial crash? Because there was also um, all of the shenanigans, I suppose, around uh, the insurance arm of his company. So it was around December 2011 when he declared himself bankrupt because at that point he owed more than €2 billion uh, to to Anglo-Irish Bank. And I remember that at the time, I remember sitting at my computer as a junior reporter and one of my colleagues coming around the corner and telling me, um, even just before the bankruptcy, it was more when when everything started crumbling away and, and Quinn Insurance had been put into administration. And I remember him telling me that, and just the shock in the office that could this really be happening? Because obviously, you could always see Sean Quinn was the one man that everybody talked about, that my own father talked about. Whenever I was a little boy, my dad would drive me to Derlin, and, he, and, and he'd let me see all the lorries parked up. And most Sundays we'd go around, and I'd have a look, and I'd 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 be with my dad, and I'd count all the green lorries with the big Q logo on. And I remember saying to my dad, gee, 
what age would Sean Quinn be? And at that time, he wasn't that old at all. And and I just thought it was amazing. Um, that whole story and I grew up hearing so many stories from my dad and then you know I was in work I can remember it so well uh, that day when everything started to go pear-shaped and thinking this is an incredible moment so then I started following it all I have followed every single twist and turn along the way so I interviewed Sean Quinn that time um, and having uh, heard all about him growing up hearing stories about him I then uh, tried my best for a long period of time to try to get an interview with him and finally got it. So found myself in the middle of all of this, sitting in his living room, uh, asking him about his bankruptcy. And I remember at the time him sitting back, drinking a cup of tea, talking about the football, talking about all kinds of things that was going on in the world, and then turning around and saying, I've got nothing left. Uh, and, and talking about how he had... Probably, I think he admitted at the time that he had taken too many chances and, and that was it. And, and you know, he had full of regrets and, and if he could do it all again and focus on one thing, to go back to my earlier story, he would focus on the sleeve Russell as that was the one thing that he was most proud of. So I remember that conversation very well. The bank took control of his businesses, ousted all the senior uh, family members, including his children, and took away those businesses, much to the anger of locals here. And as as um, many of your listeners will recall, people took to the streets back then. They took to Ballyconnell, they took to Cavan, and we had uh, employees from Quinn Insurance, we had employees from all those manufacturing businesses we listed earlier, all taken to the streets with placards calling for the return of Quinn. You know, Sean Quinn notoriously um, is is very guarded and very very private, um, and and rarely rarely grants interviews. And I just want to go back to that moment that you had sitting in his living room. Like, what kind of man is he in, in those kind of contexts? Like, what kind of uh, personality or or vibe does he give off? Honestly, he's just a very normal country, football-loving husband, father, grandfather. You know, you sit there, and I know there'll be people, absolutely know there'll be people listening, thinking, get away. This man was a, was a multi-billionaire. There's nothing normal about him. But he's sitting there, he's drinking tea, he's watching the news, he's talking to his wife, he's surrounded by photographs of, of, of family and... and, and uh, and, and grandchildren and big serious issues hardly comes into it you know he just wants to talk about whatever everybody else talks about and uh, he goes to you know goes to mass regularly uh, meets up with friends regularly goes out to eat locally with with uh, with friends I mean that's just sort of the the, the more personal side um, that I've got to see but obviously you know he was a serious businessman he put a serious amount of time into into business when he was at the helm. And I remember that interview very well, sitting there and him telling me how he used to start his day very, very early indeed and would get up as, as, as soon as he could. He'd get out and he'd go straight to the business uh, in Derrylin, a very short drive from his home in Ballyconnell, right across the border. 
and he would work for hours and hours and hours and hours and he would always come up with ideas. You know, what more can I do? How can I make that better? How can I make that bigger? How can I make more money? Um, and that's sort of how his mind operates. So when he's not focused on how Fermanagh GA are doing or, 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 or catching up with his friends um, uh, over some cards, he, he, he would have been thinking about um, business and, and how to build the business. Mm. And I know that uh, he would have had lots of ideas um, of where he was going with the business before before he lost everything. Let's talk about that transition period then, because as you say, when it became clear that Sean Quinn and um, his children and members of his family were no longer going to be essentially in control of uh, what is more broadly called the Quinn Group, I suppose, um, and now is kind of uh, Quinn um, uh, Industrial Holdings, you know, also, that was kind of implicitly tied in, as you said, with Anglo-Irish Bank. And I think the central bank, it was 170 million they authorised that the Quinn Group could borrow from Anglo. And obviously, that was never going to turn out well with, with what happened. And, and the loans kept kind of cascading and um, everything fell apart, as it did for many companies. But obviously, Quinn was, was such a huge one to, to fall. But that transition period, now you mentioned the dissatisfaction of the employees themselves which would indi- who were taken to the streets which would indicate a really, really high level of loyalty there from um, people working for the company to the, the man and the family which is really quite unusual I suppose. Um, I think we're kind of conditioned to almost be opposed to our, our masters or the hierarchies of bosses. That certainly wasn't the case uh, within um, Sean Quinn's empire. But then you have this transition of executives, right? So you have new people coming in or being placed in to take over the management and the executive control of these organisations. How did that happen and and who were those people and what was the kind of discontent going on around that? Was it, um, you know, were the Quinn family satisfied with that or were employees angry at that? Did this Was this a kind of thing that started to split loyalties? Well, I can, if you just picture the scene, I can recall this up saying, and, and this is, I think, best, that hopefully answers your question, but also sums up the feeling at that time. I remember going along to that launch when in 2014, uh, QIH were bought over by six businessmen, including Quinn's former associates. So people like Kevin Lunny, who was then a, a close family friend. And I can remember standing outside HQ in Derlin and right above the door was a sign that said, Eventus Group and that sign had been put up there um, whenever Quinn lost everything so the big Q big letter Q had been removed and had been replaced with Eventus Group I can remember standing there that morning, it was a very cold morning and the Eventus Group sign was removed um, by some of the workers including one of the the associates, one of the, the new owners it was placed on the ground outside the entrance and somebody set fire to it. And the employees, many of the employees, ran around that jumping and clapping and roaring and screaming while executives and others handed out drinks, clinked glasses in excitement that all this was done. And there in the middle of everybody was Quinn, who had returned as a consultant. So everybody was running out saying, this is a great day. 
Quinn is back where he belongs. And, and I remember very, very well um, speaking to some of those people around him who had taken over that business. And they said, look, this is a great day. We've got the businesses back. They're going to be locally owned. They're going to be run locally here. And now we've got Quinn back. And there was a lot of excitement back then because there was so much uncertainty about the future of jobs. There was all that, you know, that, that strange atmosphere when when people were just watching it unfold and not knowing what was going to happen next. And then relations between Quinn and the others deteriorated um, in about over a period of one, two years. And he left that role in 2016. He later telling me that he was forced out and had been stabbed in the back. And that's something, of course, the the the, the businessmen who took over uh, the company uh, would reject. Um, but I understand that the atmosphere in there was not good uh, once he did get going. Um, and that is what led to his departure from the business that he created for a second time. So you have a situation here that sounds very heightened, I suppose. But at some point things move beyond maybe very kind of overzealous or jubilant celebrations outside a building and all the kind of hyperbole around that of someone being being back in the saddle to something far more sinister and a succession of, of incidents begins to unfold that are not just about strongly worded emails or, you know, um, heightened rhetoric but actually about physically endangering people working um, in, in, in that organisation. What happened? What was the first sign that this was actually spilling over into something that was actually quite threatening for people? So I can recall when, when things started to turn a little bit more sinister. Um, it started out with telegraph poles being cut, so then there'd be no power in the factories. And at the time, I remember thinking, yeah, serious. But then as time went on, those incidents got much worse. And in fact, there have now been over 70 incidents of intimidation, of harassment, leading up to that savage attack on on Kevin Lunny. But there were incidents such as petrol bomb attacks outside the homes of some of the executives. There was a a bus crashed into the side of one of the factories and set on fire. I remember covering that. There was a, a jeep uh, crashed into the side of, of another building in Darlin uh, late one night and set on fire. And I remember covering that. And that eerie, eerie feeling um, in that uh, in a very rural border area when you're standing in the middle of, of this, um, this, this, this area where you're surrounded by factories and, and, and chimneys and, 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 and green lorries whizzing past, but right in the middle of it all, are these flames and smoke from the latest incident? And that went on so many times where I'd be sitting at home and I'd get a call to go down to Darlin or Ballyconnell where there would be this just scene of, of, of horror, you know, just this really dramatic scene. Um, and, and it was such a worry for many locals. Um, and, and then it gradually got worse and and led up to to what happened to Kevin. Uh, And of course, it wasn't just um, around Derlin and Ballyconnell. It was online. So there was lots of issues with 
defamatory and threatening messages written on the likes of Facebook. And I know um, in recent days it has emerged that uh, the executives complained to Facebook about various pages that were set up um, to attack those executives and that Facebook allegedly did nothing. And it was something that I think Leo Vradka uh, recently commented on. Um, And not just that, um, but there would have been issues with um, defamatory messages that were uh, erected on buildings and, and, and areas around uh, Darlin uh, and Ballyconnell, uh, messages that would have made uh, various remarks around uh, about the executives, including Kevin Lunny. So it created a very toxic, and very difficult and very scary atmosphere. Um, and the big thing for a lot of people during that, that period of time was, uh, wow, how is this allowed to happen? Why are nobody removing these, these, these items? And now, you know, in the last two weeks, there are even more questions for people because they're, they're reflecting and they're looking back and they're thinking, yeah, all that stuff happened, but nothing was done. And now they're seeing a real change, I suppose. You know, that perhaps what has happened now to, to, to Kevin has been a turning point. So let's talk about that turning point, because I think this was a point that the entire um, atmosphere and that that atmosphere you talk about of uh, a toxic one really came to to national light. And I think it probably says an awful lot about um, media in Ireland that this wasn't really being covered, um, you know, very visibly uh, before the run up to um, the abduction and torture of one of those executives. Kevin Lunny because in the aftermath of that you know we're hearing all these stories like you're talking about like arson attacks like petrol bombings like assaults in the street but it's this Uh Kevin Lunny uh, incident that really I mean I just remember reading the details going what like I mean it was absolutely outrageous that this was happening so who is Kevin Lunny and what happened to him? Kevin Lunny um, is one of the executives of Quindustrial Holdings. And as I explained earlier, he was a close friend of Sean Quinn's and the family. Um, I remember very, very well, um, and I'm sorry for boring you with all my memories, but I remember very, very well uh, standing in, in the Killyhaven Hotel in Enniskillen um, years ago, whenever Quinn lost everything. And Kevin Lunny was there, um, and there was a massive audience, and he was desperately trying to come up with a plan to save the entire Quinn Empire. And he had a presentation that he was given to everybody, and he had um, information booklets that he had printed out. And he stood up there uh, that, that night, and he tried to make a pitch and said, look, this is the plan. Here's how we can save uh, the Quinn Empire. So, so that sort of gives an indication of his loyalty uh, to, to Quinn and how close they were. And he's a he's a big community man. He's somebody who, who's very very uh, well liked. Um, he's involved in his. He lives in Canole, a little place called Canole, which isn't far from Darlin. And he helped to uh, create a community hall there. He's involved in a, a group called Fermanagh Trust, which is a cross-community group or an organisation um, that, that pushes shared education. He's involved in uh, a school in a school in Darlin called St Aidan's High School, and and he works very closely with the teachers and principal there to help those children and sponsors various events throughout the year. So he gets he gets himself involved in a lot of community work. He's also a father of six, and. 
two weeks ago now, he was driving home that short journey from Darlin to Canale, uh, and he was approaching his front lane when four masked men approached him. He locked his car door, hoping that that would be enough to keep him safe. But we now know that it wasn't. Those men smashed the windows of his vehicle. They removed him from the vehicle and they placed him into the boot of another car that they had. They then set fire to the car that they were in, That, by the way, that they used to ram him off the road. And they set fire to his car and they sped off. And as they sped off, those two vehicles were burning not far from, from, from the windows of his home where his family were. So if you can imagine the scene, those men sped off with him in, in the boot of their car and these two vehicles were on fire and there was a loud explosion that could be heard from quite a distance away. Uh, and I spoke to some of the people around um, uh, that area, some of his neighbours who recall seeing that black smoke um, in the air and, and hearing that loud bang and not knowing if he was in that vehicle or not. And that, that, that shock and horror of that moment, but then not knowing where he was and, and, and they had taken him, these men had taken him away uh, quite some distance away into the next county, into County Cavan, where they brought him to a location and they tortured him. And they used a knife to cut his face. They broke his leg and they, they, they um, uh, hurt him in various other ways, including, including removing his fingernails. And it was an absolutely savage attack. Uh, and that is how um, the police, both sides of the border, have described it. And those people who are close to Kevin, who know him very well. And they then left him for dead. So they, they dumped him uh, in an area of Calvin where he was found by a man on a tractor. And he was only found by that man on the tractor because that tractor was traveling so slowly and could see what was going on. Because while he was crawling along that road bleeding, there were cars whizzing by, not knowing, perhaps not seeing him. But this man in this tractor saw him. He got out and called for help. And a local resident wrapped Kevin in a duvet while they waited for an ambulance to arrive. Then, um, when all that was going on, back home in, in, in Kenole, his family were frantic with worry. His friends were worried, were, were worried, not knowing where he was. And I remember receiving a phone call that night from somebody um, who was in the area to tell me what was going on. And I phoned somebody who, who, who would be very friendly with Kevin, Lonnie. And he was shaking on the phone because he had just been told what had happened and he was told to expect the worst. So for a good two, three hours, his family... And his friends, including that person that I phoned, were sure that Kevin was dead. When they eventually found out that he'd been found safe, uh, although he was very badly injured, um, they raced down to see him in Calvin Hospital. And as we speak now, he is now home, recovering uh, at home. And the response that this has got, as we've 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 spoken about, has real been, has been a real turning point for people here because now they're very much focused on 
on what happened to Kevin, on why it happened, on how it can't happen again. And in recent days, there have been special masses held in Canole and in Ballyconnell. And quite interestingly, at the weekend, there was a, a mass held where Father Oliver O'Reilly uh, spoke out against those responsible for what happened to Kevin Lonnie. And it went down, and we can talk about it in a moment, but it went down um, extremely well with local people. And it created uh, quite a bit of, of reaction in, in, in the news, uh, north and south. And whenever Father O'Reilly was, was settling in for the night, on Sunday night after he had done everything, he, his phone rang. And it had been going mad all day with, with newspapers and, and radio stations and everybody wanted to talk to him. And he picked up the phone and the person on the other end of the phone said, Hi, I'm Kevin Lonnie. You were talking about me today. I just want to thank you. And that was the end of the phone call. And I spoke to Father O'Reilly earlier and he told me how overwhelmed he was to receive that phone call. And of course he was able to get it confirmed that it was in fact Kevin who had phoned him. But I suppose that shows you the kind of man that Kevin Lonnie is, even though he's in desperately uh, bad uh, uh, pain at the moment. Um, he's recovering at home, but he was able to find the strength to thank that priest for speaking out on his behalf and also expressing his gratitude for all the support that he has been able to get from people in this area. Let's talk about where this is going now. Um, Father O'Reilly also spoke about a, a godfather type figure, you know, commanding some kind of mafia type mob in the area. Um, you know, these are all you know terms that evoke uh, a certain type of um, uh, powerful entity in a community um, that clearly has gone, you know, has gone too far a long time ago, but in this particular incident has gone way, way, way too far and as you've described, that, that tipping point moment and that people are actually receiving um, the very, very strong words of someone like Father O'Reilly with applause at this stage and condemning that type of violence. But I know that, you know, it goes without saying that we can't um, discuss who is actually perpetrating these these incidents or, um, for very obvious legal reasons and so on. But why has nobody been charged with this litany of crimes one after the other? Well, those questions and frustrations were put to uh, the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, the PSNI Chief Constable, Simon Byrne, when both men attended a cross-border conference on crime um, in Ballyconnell last week. And I remember uh, Drew Harris saying that um, they've taken, they're taking all these incidents seriously, that there have been people in the past who have been arrested and, and and a file was sent to DPP, but perhaps nothing was done about it. He also talked about how it's a very isolated area. And, you know, I've already explained how rural it is and, 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 and all of that. However, that doesn't escape the fact that people, including the Lunny family and those around the Lunnies, and all of those, those executives who have faced threatening messages, defamatory messages, intimidating messages, and in some cases, even last year, and you, you mentioned one of the incidents, where one of them had boiling water thrown over them. That doesn't give the fact that all of those people are frustrated and they're annoyed that there hasn't been more action by the police on both sides of the border. And in the past, 
and and you know I'm not going to get into into commenting too much on my on my own personal uh, um, uh, opinion. I know that there there aren't uh, much of a there isn't much of a police presence in that area and hasn't been in the past. But since this incident with Kevin Lunny, there's there's that, that has been increased, and and you could drive down that area now, and you would pass officers who are taking part in in in, in stops and 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 uh, and driving up and down the roads. So there's more of a police presence now, but there wasn't much of a police presence before, and that is uh, the the frustration of many. Um, and I uh, spoke to the justice minister yesterday, uh, Charlie Flanagan who said that both the PSNI and Gardaí are working around the clock and that there are now more officers on the ground than, than ever before and uh, they're desperately trying to find those responsible but that it would be the job of the community to bring information to the police uh, north and south. But people here still want to see those people brought to justice and they want to see more action from the police. You know, two things can kind of happen, I suppose, in, in at this point in these kind of situations. Either something escalates or either something de-escalates. You know, common sense would dictate that if you're after committing a crime like this abduction and torture of Kevin Lunny and it is all over the media and there's priests speaking from the pulpit and condemning you and all that kind of stuff, that you basically go to ground and, and step away from this really heightened uh, atmosphere that has been created. I want to ask you just before you go, Rodney, and this has been so fascinating. I really appreciate your expertise and insight on this issue. Where do we go from here? Um, Is there a sense that the tide is turning now against those who uh, would claim particular loyalties and use those as a veneer to perpetrate perpetrate violence? is the community stepping away from that kind of uh, very, I don't know, like tribal type of um, uh, dispute? Um, do people really want to see uh, calm restored? Or are there cohorts of people who resent um, who's in control over this particular uh, business interest? Well, I think it's fair to say that it's a turning point. Um, and, you know, as you've already said, it is now being headline news for the best part of two weeks. And when have we seen an incident, um, even in the north, that, that, you know, that has merited that type of coverage, not just in Ireland, but, but, but elsewhere? And so this is a big moment. Um, there's been many highs and lows uh, over the last nine, ten years. This is the lowest. Um, people, of course... Uh, want to see calm in the area. They don't want to see any more um, incidents like this. Uh, interestingly, one of the Facebook pages that I spoke about earlier uh, disappeared in the, in the days that followed uh, Kevin Lunny's attack. Now, I'm not saying that there's any link between any of that, but that particular page upset quite a few people within Quinn Management and, and it's disappeared. Um, so that was very much welcomed uh, by those within uh, HQ in Derlin because they had uh, uh, been very um, annoyed and irked by, by some of the, the messages that were posted on that page and, and felt that perhaps even the page itself was firing people up. But yes, generally, of course, people here want 
to see calm. They, they, they don't want to see any more incidents of intimidation, harassment, and certainly nothing like what happened to Kevin Lunney. There, there is, to be completely accurate, uh, uh, there is a small element uh, in the locality that continue to oppose the QIH management that continue to disagree with everything that the executives and people like Kevin Lunny stand for, uh, and that they will not be happy at any point until uh, those executives are, are, are no longer there. Uh, but of course, what some of those management um, have said in recent days is that they must continue driving the business forward, uh, that the police must do their job and, 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 and find those people responsible and, and bring them to justice. Because if that doesn't happen, then there will be doubts uh, over all of those jobs. And don't forget, there are over 800 employees in that tiny little border area. And if anything happens to those people uh, and those jobs, um, there are a serious amount of, of harm that that's going to cause to very many families. Rodney Edwards, the Deputy Editor of The Impartial Reporter, thank you for that masterful um, uh, retelling and updating of what's actually happening um, with the Quinn situation up there. The Impartial Reporter um, covers uh, the border counties in Ireland. It's really well worth looking uh, at that, paying attention to that and following Rodney on Twitter at, at Rodney Edwards. Rodney, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. what can you do? The main thing is to tune into your local media. Um, obviously, we had someone from the Impartial Reporter um, who is very tuned into this. So having the knowledge and keeping an eye on what's going on is pretty much it. And you can also support us on patreon.com forward slash United Ireland if you want to continue to hear really smart people on the ground talking about the issues that are most impacting the places where they are occurring. Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. Thanks to all of our supporters so far. You're all legends. You're helping this uh, thing stay on the road so smoothly, I think you'll agree. <laughs> um, and we just need more of you. So spread the word, share the pod, spread the love. Give us the money. So myself and Andrea are in really great moods this week <laughs> and we have nothing to complain about. However... Has that ever happened before? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Woo! Um, Andrew is taking up the mantle of this week's Get in the Sea. Andrew, what needs to get in the sea this week? Uh, Buskers playing really miserable tunes on Grafton Street. And is this happening more regularly or why has this been brought to your attention? It just seems every time you go down, they're playing something by, like they're playing Hallelujah, the uh, Leonard Cohen song made very popular by Jeff Buckley. Um, I know what Hallelujah (laughs) is, actually. (laughs) Sorry, I was just trying to be educational here. But uh, yeah, it was, yeah, I don't know. It's just, they need to have their guitars taken away from them Mm. and they're really crap little amps Mm. taken away from them as well. Would you be in favour of keeping buskers but banning amplified busking? Yes. Okay. Or just miserable buskers. Yeah, miserable buskers. You're supposed to be there to cheer people up, right? And make money. Yeah. So you're going to make money if you're going to give us something to all be happy and cheer about. Do you think we should have tempo police? Correct. (laughs) 120 beats per minute. That's the minimum for any busking, unless it's like really late at night or something like that. But it's just too much. Maybe we could have like an area for like 
weeping corner or something where you, like you take a street where you know someone's going to be like ah. yeah or put really crap buskers outside buildings of people you don't like let them suffer not the people that's who are going about <laughs> going about their business Hello, trying to be Iona. happy I think that's a pretty good idea so not only do we have a get in the sea we also have a new startup <laughs> We can make an app. Yeah, called Busker Revenge. <laughs> um, thank you, Andrew. You're welcome. Fave bits. My fave bits this week. First of all, okay, so I've got two films. First one is called Dog Called Money. It is a PJ Harvey documentary by the Irish photographer Seamus Murphy. It is beautiful, amazing. It is so good. I wa- I Sorry, s- a film by a photographer. Yeah, well, he's obviously a filmmaker now as well, but okay. he's a, a DIP. Yeah. yeah, like he's a documentary photographer okay. who made this film That's gorgeous. with PJ Harvey, where they traveled to various different places together, including Afghanistan and Kosovo. And then he took some of the filming he was done around Trump's inauguration and also an installation that she did at Somerset House where she was recording an album live and made this like really poetic uh, doc. It's brilliant. Gorge. Um, it's kind of all about the proce- her process. And where is it available? Well, I saw it at the IFI's Documentary Film Festival and I'm not sure when it's getting a general release so just keep an eye out for it. And also Blinder produced it which is Irish production company so good on them. Another fave bit for me this week is Strawberries, which is a club night that's happening on Saturday in Soundhouse in Dublin by the people who brought us Grace. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Can I just, I know I keep saying it every week, clubbing is so buzzing at the moment. Mm. Even though we have all the like fight against all our spaces being shut down but people are really making a fucking effort and there's so much good stuff popping up like inclusive exclusive club comfort strawberries and grace obviously um, but even all the like we're getting low I've been buying tickets to so many clubbing things at the moment I literally have like clubbing 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 like it's just Dimitri from Paris is coming Cyril Han is coming too many DJs swear for that it's just brilliant yeah so fair play to everyone putting parties on I'm really looking forward to checking out Strawberries and it's so good to have another queer night on the horizon and my final fave bit is kind of a fave bit of two parts Uh, it's another film it's called The Farewell you've probably seen the trailers for it Aquafina is in it it is this amazing Chinese American film that is so beautiful and so moving and so funny and just really, really well worth a watch if there's like a rainy day happening like uh, the one we're recording on today and you just want to go to the cinema and watch something really quality. Um, it's this beautiful film called The Farewell, um, which was based on an episode of This American Life. I remembered as I was watching it, I was like, this feels really familiar. But yeah, it's based on this uh, episode of American Life where um, the woman who made the film, basically uh, her grandmother is Chinese, she's Chinese-American and they had to, her grandmother got cancer and the family kind of conspired to not tell her she was ill and what happened to their family relationship when that happened. So it's really moving and funny and brill. But while I was in the cinema before this happened and like this is such a really, like a small human story that's actually an amazing film. The fucking trailers for films coming out, I'm like, Hollywood is just so up its own ass like so there was a trailer for Maleficent 2 which I just never understood Angelina Jolie is like some like bad person amazing movie is it? Maleficent is yeah 
I just don't care. And I'm just looking at these massive big CGI set pieces of like Angelina flying around like a bat going like, no! And it's like, I just don't give a shit about this. The costumes. Ugh. I just don't care. Anyway, the, and another one. <laughs> but I, I think just be, like there's more to it. Well, I just think it's a load of bollocks, and the, and then there was <laughs> like, what's a load of bollocks? Just I, because I, I just okay. Can I can I finish my thought? Okay, go on. Then there was a trailer for this other film with Eddie Redmayne, like ugh, anyway, called The Aeronauts, which is basically about the people who invented weather prediction, and it's all of them like being in a hot air balloon in the eighteen hundreds or early nineteen hundreds. I'm like, I just don't fucking care. Then there was another trailer that I saw recently while I was waiting for another film to come on that was about like Edison versus Tesla and their race to make fucking light bulbs and and it's called The Current War and I'm just like I just don't care about these stupid films where you're trying to inject emotion into some either absolute fantasy or some historical point that you're pretending is dramatic and you're creating the architecture of a film. So like it looks like it has all these emotional points and it looks like there's stars in it and it has all these big set pieces, but they're just trash. Like I just think there's a lot of, I think Hollywood is all over the place. And when you look at, let's say, for example, something like Manhattan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) I just think that all of the interesting films that I'm seeing right now are actually very like could be considered quite small personal human stories that are exploring genuine emotion that feel authentic and are often you know maybe based on real life or whatever and those are the films that are really capturing me and that includes Hustlers you know and it includes things like The Farewell I will say there are like other people who have maybe like different things I'm in a that they look for in a movie I'm in a cinema club and if there's no high school and if there's no love story we can't go and see it or something like action that we can go and see it in one of those films cinemas where they spritz you with water and shit oh yeah like which is always a winner but like so there's a different strokes obviously but like sometimes you just want to sit there and watch crap for two hours yeah but I, I don't mind watching like super popcorn films you know that are really entertaining yeah. I just don't think this stuff is entertaining and I think that a lot of the stuff that's coming out of, of Hollywood right now they just really don't really know what they're doing like when you look at something like The Goldfinch okay it's an adaptation of a novel that John Crowley directed and that has just lost $50 million. Like it's had the sixth worst opening weekend since the 80s of a film. And it's because it's this like massive sprawling epic that is, you know, trying to like have all these aspects of what filmmaking is, but the emotional core isn't really there. And I think when you're making films about like the aeronauts and they went up in a hot air balloon and, you know, there's like all these like cliffhangers and it's like you're you're imposing emotion on it. Where for me, something like The Farewell, the emotion is coming from such an authentic place. And I think that we need more films that have actual authentic true heart in them or absolutely have your Fast and the Furious and all that kind of stuff but even Hustlers like there's so much Mm. emotional heart in there the stakes are emotional they're not about who like makes the first fucking light bulb anyway did you love Cinderella? I didn't see it so we'll leave that that hanging Okay, it's really good it's so good I just maybe it's just a taste thing I just don't care about all these big historical they just feel like cheap Oscar bait and I wasn't like haven't there already been a million films about Thomas Edison like it feels like something Leonardo DiCaprio tried to get an Oscar for was that The Aviator all those kind of things do not care but The Farewell my fave bit <laughs>
That was a very negative fave bit. <laughs> Let me just say. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, my fave bits are actually fave bits. <laughs> the, bur- uh, the burn. Burn, shade, etc. Uh, I went to see Nilo, who I think is a really good artist. Um, and he does very kind of chill um, R&B kind of hip hoppy music. Um, would, would that be the correct gender? Well, like he's a rapper. Yeah. Um, but the highlight for me of his gig is he did a version of You Can Call Me Al by um, Simon and Garfunkel. Paul Simon. Paul was Simon. It Simon and Garfunkel? No, it's only Paul Simon. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was just the most, it's A, the most joyous song that's ever existed in the whole world, ever. With the best bass line. Ever. And then to have an, uh, a little Dublin version of it. Um, when you're not expecting it was just it just filled me with so much joy and I was beaming for hours afterwards something else that fills me with so much joy is a restaurant that I mean we don't usually do restaurants in our fave bits but I'm going to today because it is 100% the best restaurant in Dublin M&L it is a Szechuan special and Chinese restaurant and the food they turn out uh, is just deserving of something Oscar related in the food world. I think it's called a Michelin star. (laughs) (laughs) There is something in that world. I wonder, I think they should get a Michelin star because the food is absolutely phenomenal. The vibe is fab. The wine's not great, but look, you can't have it all. You really like their green beans, I believe. Green beans and pork, yeah. Mm. And, but then I saw a video of a pig again. I need to be a vegan again. Um, their green beans are stunning and you can get them without the pork and Fair. you can get a chilli version but what I would say is this is my top tip my, this is my actual top tip of life this week they have this version It's there's two versions if you order sweet and sour chicken you get sweet and sour chicken fine it's nice but in the chef's recommendations there's this battered chicken and sweet and sour sauce and they're very different they're a whole different ball game and you think what could be so different they're sweet and sour battered chicken but this one is so crispy and fine and skinny that when you bite into it you're like is this actually what heaven tastes like because I'm pretty sure it is it is phenomenal so it's on the chef's recommendations and yeah if you don't get it you're missing out before you become a vegan because we should all be looking to not eat animals and then I had an impossible whopper recently oh yeah I had tasted one while I was in the States no I mean I don't know really what a what like I, I'm not into recreating shit to taste like meat or like taste the joy of the vegetables bring and taste all the beautiful food that there is stop trying to make things like beetroot taste like blood but if let's say if, it hits a spot that you're craving well I think it's more like if it stops you there, there being so much terrible like cattle um, destroying the rainforest like let's say if Burger King and McDonald's tomorrow just said actually we found a replacement for McDonald's have launched one well, let, let, like wholesale a meat replacement okay so if they did that for everything wouldn't that be better for the environment no because ev- if so this is the issue because then something else would be over farmed and that would be an issue again so over farming is the issue so we need to stop consuming as much so if we just eat local and relevant that's the solution rather than um like if you look at when everyone was given out a bit, like we have this ongoing issue with um what is it I obviously can't remember something in the rainforest um but it's over farming is the problem it's not the actual like if you look at the meat that's produced in Ireland our farming and regulations are actually quite 
good in apart from obviously the killing at the end but like okay that's how me just happened oh wow and my last favorite how do they keep getting so negative jesus christ <laughs> uh maniki uh is a karaoke and japanese restaurant on dawson street and it's absolutely the crack the rooms are glam and if there's anything better than karaoke in this world i don't want to know this podcast is produced by Andrew Mang and Castaway Media with support from Susie Bennett. Crystal Clear gave us a tuna chicken roll for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all our design. And you can find links to all our socials on our website, unitedirelandpodcast.com. And if you're enjoying listening, let us know. We've been getting some gorge uh, letters, letters as a push, emails and notes. <laughs> um, so do keep them coming because there's nothing nicer than getting uh, those messages and it does get us pepped for our next episode yes thank you very very much um, this week we will say goodbye to an absolute tuna chicken roll Andrew literally was slagging me the whole week when he was editing um, the podcast when Celine was coming on so this week he's getting a banger so I don't have to listen to him again <laughs> <laughs> it's prosper player prayer oh my god prayer prosper prayer Prosper, prayer, enjoy. <laughs> I've been Eden Mullally. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland. And that, that was Cavan. 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 Okay.